Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Account Experience Podcast. And before we jump into this week's episode, I have an urgent news brief. <laughs> Sorry, I've always wanted to say that. But we do have news. I'm excited to announce our new hosts for Season 2. The CEO and co-founder of Customer Gauge, the retention rebel himself, Mr. Adam Durrell, will be joined by our Account Experience guru and head of customer success, Mr. Dave Barber. And let me tell you, have they ever lined up a list of guests for you in season two? And don't worry, Carrie and I aren't out of a job yet. We're simply going live every Thursday at 4.30 p.m. Eastern time on our newest show called Experience on the Rocks, where we dissect the toughest B2B experience problems in real time. So without further ado, let's dive into the first episode of season two, where Adam and Dave speak to Bob McNinch, an expert in everything B2B CX, and they discuss the implications of third-party cookies and why it's more important than ever to retain your customers by providing amazing experiences. My name's Adam Durrell, and I'm joined here today by Dave Barber and Trishala Changapa. Hello. Good afternoon, Adam. Afternoon, Tris. Good afternoon. Great to have you all. I'm really excited about this. This is the first time I've ever hosted a podcast. Did I? <laughs> well, we're following in the very uh, well-trodden footsteps of uh, Ian Luck and Kerry Self, who I think had a Blinder in the first season. Tough act to follow. I'm also really excited about this season, by the way. We've got a great first guest today, Bob McGinch, who's been in B2B customer experience for years, worked for um, Dell and uh, Vodafone. Your old boss, right? Well, we can try to keep a bit quiet. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, you are. So uh, don't let him know about that. Got it. Uh, And also, we've already lined up um, six great clients already that I'm really excited to talk to. So um, Sugar CRM, uh, Super Office, Shaw Telecom, you know a lot of these guys. Um, so Rent-A-Kill as well, which is a bit of random from Rent-A-Kill. So I'm really excited. Fantastic. Um, so how's your week been? Trish, how, how did your week pan out last week? My week was actually pretty good. Headed out to some of the seaside areas of the Netherlands, getting in some sun while we can, I think. And right after, I think, a quite a big release week. So... I think yeah, it was like it was huge. Can you talk through a little bit about, about what you got out in customer gauge last week? Yes, definitely. I think we had quite an exciting um, release. We uh, changed the way customer gauge looks, but also the navigation that customers can use inside of the platform. And that's pretty big when you normally do that. It's a lot of user change. And I think Dave can kind of um, chime in here because this was done in combination between customer success and product based on a lot of customer feedback that we received over the last year using our own kind of surveying, the product survey as part of the feedback collection method. Yeah, there's always, there's always a special kind of feeling in the CSM team before any kind of major release. <laughs> it's, 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 it's one of excitement and, and, and utter fear sometimes as well. <laughs> Not that we don't trust our product team, of course, but of course it always needs to work really well for customers and, and ever, whenever people have questions, this is who they're going to come to. So really excited for it. And also it's really going to help us to make sure that Customers can use the system a lot better. Well, hold on a second. So you said this is like a special type of feeling. Did, yeah. 
was that present this time or we... This is probably the biggest release in terms of actual system change that I've been a part of um, since since I joined Customer Gauge back in 2017. Uh, and I'm not sure how it went before, Trish and Adam, on, on, on previous whole interface updates. Uh, but I think for, for us, we were looking very much forward to responding to things that customers have said, not just recently, but over the past couple of years. You can't do a UI refresh every time a customer says this, this button would be better here. Um, so we're excited for that because actually we made, made sure that customers could actually use it a bit better. I think um, just to also answer Dave's point, we get better and better at this. So you learn from your previous um, experiences, you understand how uh, to make the process as smooth as possible for customers. And I know Dave had a special feeling. We did too, because it's very exciting. But I think um, the release side of things, we were incredibly calm as a team. And that's always, um, I think, good rather than bad. So I think in that sense, we have learned from our last change to this time. But um, the massive uh, change, of course, is the navigation. And that came at the back of customer feedback, where they wanted us to make it easier for them to find things inside of customer gauge, but also to be able to improve the search functionality. So again, it comes around finding things. And I think we combined both of it. Um, we had a lot of customer validation sessions before we put it into the product. So the design session uh, through the customer feedback session before it actually went in and went for launch across. So I think that really helped in also making sure we are getting it right. I, th I think what we learned from this as well is you can't communicate this too much. Yep. I think a, a, a message every single day just to make sure everybody sees it really <laughs> helps to reduce those surprises when people log in in the morning and they go, what is this? Um, you know, whenever that happens, when one, one of your favorite software changes and you go, I'm never going to be able to use it in this way. And within a week, you can't remember what it used to look like. Yeah. So even me, I stopped clicking where I used to click already in, in only a week. There's no such thing as too much communication when it comes to something as big a change as this. Well, it's really good to hear about the, uh, the new user interface. So we got it out, it wasn't too nervous. And, and what's the feedback been so far? Feedback's been great on our side of it. Um, so I think, like I said before, the, uh, the, the requests that have come in aren't brand new requests that we had. And we did a pro big product survey last year. And so we're actually able to really act upon those. And like Trish says, to, to actually engage some of our heaviest users of the system and say, this is where we've come to in a way, here's our vision. And then using our customers to tweak it then and to really get it to a point where it needs to be. Yeah. Then it just rolls out smoothly and they go, right, well, this is what I wanted now. Now I can work better. So some really good feedback so far from our side. On another topic, today, um, you're a good Cornish lad. I am indeed. So there was a big meeting in Cornwall last week. The G7 Summit, yes. That's right. So is that local for you? Is that, yeah. So that's all the, the, the media and the police were staying uh, outside my mum's front door, basically. No. <laughs> so my mum is in Falmouth in Cornwall. Cornwall, for anyone else that doesn't know, is a little nice little county in the southwest of England. And so basically, they, they, they got a big ocean liner into the, into the harbour to, uh, for all the police and the military to stay at. Mum needed an ID card to get into her own street for a little bit. Uh, and the actual G7 was about 20 minutes down the road, but that's where they put all the media and stuff like that. So uh, lots of videos going up on my Facebook of Joe Biden's motorcade going down the, the little back road where I used to live. So really quite interesting to see all these world leaders in, in, in my little neck of the woods. And what do you think they ate while they were in Cornwall? Do you think they had some pasta? I would, I would hope that 
um, you know, Mr. Biden would enjoy a pasty, uh, which is basically a handheld pie. So, uh, so long as he got the right one, I would have given him a good recommendation as well. So, and you would give your NPS 10 to what kind of pies? I'm a true tradi- traditionalist, really. I, as soon as it's got anything else in it, apart from steak, potatoes, turnip and onion, I'm not interested. <laughs> Trish, how do you feel about that? Have you had a Cornish pasty in your life? No, we're still waiting for Dave to introduce us to that in our um, customer gauge office. So, Dave, next ne- ne- next time we cook for the cook for the office, we'll uh, we'll be sure to have a go at pasties. <laughs> All right, we'll be right back after this. Morning. Barber, and I'm here to introduce our very special guest today, Bob McNinch, who's got more than 20 years of industry experience as the B2B customer experience expert. I knew Bob at Dell, actually 20 years ago, and before that, he'd been at Apple and IBM with a really industrious career behind him, and then went on to Digital River and Vodafone. This guy knows way more about B2B experience than we'd ever can. So I'm delighted to say hello, Bob. Hello, Bob. Welcome to us today. Good afternoon, Bob. Hello. Thank you very much indeed for that kind intro, as well as shaving a number of years off my age. I am forever grateful for that. Thank you. <laughs> well, it also ages me as well. We've known each other for a long time. We have. <laughs> you've been a sort of a guru mentor to us. Also, you've been a customer gauge customer as well, which we thank you for all of that. Yeah. So you've also got some net promoter expertise under your belt. But we, so... You've, you've, you've been in these very large B2B roles. I mean, what, you know, take me out of it. What do you think some of the issues facing the industry are right now? Uh, I, you know, I'm ever the optimist. And, uh, you know, as I look at the terrible situation we've had, you know, health-wise from COVID, you know, one of the things that's been a blessing to many digital people in organizations that had here before not paid attention to it, suddenly the digital transformation agenda has been put right to the front. And there's been a lot of very good news in in getting the technology in, in upgrading things that previously were getting clogged through. Have you got a business case? What's the ROI? Shall we do a little bit of it, et cetera? Uh, so you know, there's a lot of good news that there's been a lot of investment there. Uh, yeah, I come back to what my thoughts are on that. And the other thing that's kind of top of my mind at the minute, which again, I'm looking as, as, as being good news, um, is um, there's the changing law in the third party cookie. Uh, which is going to, over the next months, make acquisition harder and harder. Now, I don't say impossible. I know that all those clever people are going to think of ways around it, but it's going to get more expensive and it's going to be uh, more difficult. Now, just, where's just the good news? There, Bob, in, in think- terms of actually the, what the third-party cookie does, is that does that mean I'm going to stop receiving all my all my shopping recommendations on Instagram because I'm not looking forward to going out and looking for it myself? Yeah, what it means is that uh, any of those you know retargeting uh, or you wonder when you come to a website, how did they know that I was looking for a new pair of shoes? And I'm reading the newspaper, and shoe adverts suddenly appear, and so it really is that whole thing of of taking. Uh, the 
footprints of where you were and reusing that to target you with offers. And so it's radically affecting the fact that, you know, if I want to get new customers, then the, the way that people are doing it today is they're saying, well, if, if I've seen you looking on the website for these products, you're probably yeah. a likely suspect for me to start talking to and advertising. And then you're able to target your money appropriately on those um, audiences of people. Uh, and that's what's going away. So you've either got to go back to spray and pray, where you just try and put ads out to anybody and hope that the people self-qualify. Um, or, you know, and that's going to be expensive. Um, or you stop. And so you certainly are going to have to stop doing the... Uh, funny enough, I, I don't like it. I think a lot of people don't like it. You think you're being stalked. It's, that's why it's going to go away. People, they, Google are doing it in order to get ahead of any privacy legislation. Yeah, I'm thinking, right? yeah. yeah exactly. Um, so uh, that sounds like bad news, but I put it in the category of good news. Hold um, on, let's describe it. Why is it good news then for, for, you know, for, for industry? Right? It's going to be more expensive to attract customers, right? Yeah, but what it's going to mean is you better pay attention to your customers. It really is going to put that agenda that says your install base is somebody else's acquisition target. And you are going to have so much trouble in getting one. You don't want to fight for everybody else's acquisition target. So look after your own. And it's really going to, I think, set the agenda of saying, are marketeers really investing in their own install base? Are they caring about them? Are they loving them? Are they nurturing? One of the companies that I work for, who should remain nameless, but you can probably guess, um, we actually worked out that we didn't need to acquire another customer if we could keep all the ones we had. Now, needless to say, we didn't. And so we had to get those because we didn't get the, you know, the, we didn't do it right in the customer relationship, et cetera. Well, that's interesting. Why, why do you think there is this focus on the need to acquire customers when we all know that the economics behind retaining customers is so much, you know, so positive? Why, why is this big drive to keep acquiring? I think it's a whole mix of things. I think, uh, well, for some of the uh, organizations, it's actually part of their mandate. So some of the telcos actually have to do it. They have to set out an acquisition target to, in other words, to spread broadband to every household and various things like that. So that's why that's part of their charter. Uh, other than that, um, I, I don't know whether it's a macho thing. I'd be interested in your views as well on that, because there is this sort of thing that salespeople, it is, I am going to get someone. I am going to win that account. I am going to do it. And then they win it. And then they immediately run off to the next one. And you go, well, wait a minute, you haven't skinned and cooked that one that you just caught. Why are you running on to the next one? And you haven't got that whole lifetime value discussion. And it's always about, I'm the hunter. I will bring home food. <laughs> Me, good. You know? And I think that's just, the, uh, by the way, I have enormous respect for that. That's enormous. Because I think it's the hardest job in business. You know, I would far rather my daughters would marry a drummer in a rock band than a great acquisition salesperson. Because, you know, man, they are tough cookies. They are good. 
But uh, I think it's a, it's a really good point you bring up. I mean, I like to think of it as the acquisition addiction. And, and yeah. funny enough, it, it comes back a little bit to the, to, to the cooking that you're talking about because Google and Facebook and Instagram have made it so easy for marketers to spend money. Mm-hmm. It's like, hey, we're showing, we've got these dials. Look at these people you're acquiring. There's actually very little indication of how you're doing it at the back end, especially when you're yeah. you know, It's like, you can spend money this way. And suddenly marketers look great. Yep. Looks like they can do math. You know, yeah. <laughs> so, so it's a really easy addiction to have, but yeah. you know, retention is is much harder, right? Yeah. You see, I think also the thing is that um, I actually think that great, uh, if you like, install based marketing requires much more technical understanding, especially of databases, and it requires a discipline. Now, if you do that, the benefit is it doesn't cost you as much money mm-hmm. because you're not paying the acquisition budget. So if you look at Sky, you look at you know the telcos, they're paying 350 quid per new customer. Yeah. And you know, then you look at the number of customers that they have to acquire to achieve the numbers because of the leakage they have. Mm-hmm. And that's very quickly a very big number. Yeah. Now, on the other hand, if you had a really great database and if you were really loving your install base, you know, doesn't the finance make more sense that way? But then the marketing person might not get as much money, as much budget. And I think we need to change that vocabulary. It's not about how much budget I've got, but about how little can you do it on. Well, and, but I, I totally agree. But, I mean, you've been right at the top of some of these companies. Uh, and how you've seen what happens at board level. What, whether it, how would you categorize the resistance to this? It seems like such a no-brainer. Why does it, why does this not mainstream? That is a very good question. Um, I think that part of the answer has been technical. Because if you think um, the whole area you've got to start talking about investing in your CRM, your database. You've got to talk about investing in upgrading your my account area. Yep. And that can often be very difficult because it's built on application type software, even it's proper code. It isn't, I'll buy a CMS and we'll put loads of content in and we'll build it up and, and that's great. Get some landing pages, get some emails, you know, get some PPC, etc. That machine seems to have become more optimized and everything but one of the things that that i think this will drive just like covid drew the transformation was you know it's a lot of marketers will talk about winning the next click i'm going to win the click um and i think it changes now to where can you win the login can you win my account because if you do that gives you something that is far more important than third-party cookies, which is first-party relationships. Exactly. Yeah. And really trying, really trying to boost that actual natural engagement that you have with your with your products, with your goods and services, right? Because I think we have the, the same conversation with our, my team in, in the CSM world, yeah. with a lot of customers that say, or with, with potential new customers that say, well, we can't do this because we haven't got the data. Exactly. So we're going to turn on the money hose at. 10 new salespeople and trust that they'll get the business in and then that'll make up for the customers that lose it. 
Uh, and because it's such a big, scary position to be in to say, we've used this system for 15 years, we developed it ourselves, we've invested hundreds of thousands in it, and now you're telling me to stop and start again or to reinvest all of my staff's time in making sure it's better now mm-hmm. when I'm not losing loads of money because yeah. it's all balancing out at the end of the day. Uh, it's quite a hard decision or quite a hard um, conversation to have with those kind of people to, to really improve that and, and have a stop. Yeah. But if you think that if you've got somebody who has registered with you and have establishes a my account, yeah. That's the, that's the basis of personalization. Mm-hmm. You know, it's how many companies don't even know what they've actually sold you. <laughs> and you just go, how can you do an upsell or a cross sell if I don't know what you've got already? Mm-hmm. And then you think, well, well, how do I message that to you? Well, even the people like the utilities, like the telcos, like all those people that re- Come back, you come back regularly to actually don't drive you coming back enough. And when you arrive at my account, what an opportunity at the same time as I'm looking to put in my meter reading that my eyeball is subjected to some little upsell or cross sell offers. But really, it is you know, people used to look at Amazon and say, Oh, I wish we were like Amazon, wish we were like Amazon. I wish we were like Amazon. Yeah. Their latest my account, I think, is wonderful. Yep. I'm a, a Prime customer. And so they have expanded the basics that started, as we all know, with books and, you know, going. Now I can see everything I bought going back years with them. I go, oh my goodness, I, I need to replace that. Yeah. I immediately <laughs> go back. Yeah. yeah. Would you like to reorder? Yes, and I'm off on a journey because it provides a wonderful service that I can see where it's in guarantee or warranty period, upsell, where I got it from, how much I paid. It is taking the people like you also bought that. I've now been educated uh, because I get prime music, and I can't remember the last time. I'm going to use the the term to explain the last time I bought something. The last time I bought a record. You know, it's like, I can't remember. And I used to say, oh, there's no good music out there. Uh, Don't make it like the old days. And I started on Prime whenever I got it, listening to various music. And it said, would you like a discovery tape based on things that you've been listening to? A discovery tape. uh, Sorry. Hold it for a second. (laughs) (laughs) I'm glad you picked up on that deliberate mistake. We're going in the right direction. Yeah, I know. Where's the final? My brother, a 14 year old son, loves cassettes. So it's good. It's all coming. Yeah. And 80 music. <laughs> but as I said, now, I've, now I've discovered all these people that I didn't know before. And I'm now so much more appreciative of the young singer songwriters and the bands coming through. I just love it. And that's what I mean. I, I'm going to I'm going to drill down on the Amazon experience if that's okay because I think you'll we, we take Amazon as a as a wonderful experience. Actually, as a company, we're huge consumers of Amazon from the business side, for, from from the hosting. So you can really see that they're not just consumer business. Mm-hmm. When we talk to um, consumer goods companies, um, some of our clients are really in that space. We used to call it FMCG, Bob. If you remember, <laughs> and, and um, actually, they are 
they're really worried about the actions of Google and, and Amazon because, first of all, Google and Amazon hold all the data. Mm -hmm. like the third-party cookies for B2B in a second. But, not only, but they're also really great experiences. Yep. So if you're talking to millennials that run a bar or something like that, they'd rather order from Amazon. Yep. And I think these, these, these companies who are in the, um, you know, the beer and the soft drinks business really start to see that as a threat because... Amazon and Google just they, they they own the complete shopping experience. They just make it easy to buy, and and this is right. huge billion dollar issue that these guys have got to to to, to solve. Right, and what I try and remind all the B two B marketers about is a customer's expectation of their business experience is set by their consumer experiences. Yeah. So if I know that I can get that from every consumer site I go to, or all the popular ones, when I get to a business-to-business -business site, someone I'm spending a lot more money with, and they don't have a good my account, they don't have a good asset base, a good inventory list, a good list of users, if I can't self-serve, if I can't see my back bills, they just go, sorry, are you, are you ready for prime time? You know, what, what are you doing to me here? Yeah. yeah, or returning something or looking something out. Like the B2B experience is, is very different, I think. Yeah. From I think that there's always the age old thought that, you know, B2B is, is, is less personal and you don't need quite so much, you know, bells and whistles and things like that. Yeah. But you're actually a lot more stressed when you're at work and you need these kind of things. Yeah. And you need, uh, you know, you need it to be a smooth experience and that matters a lot more to you, a business purchase a lot of the time than a, than a consumer one does. Yeah, I, I'm just going to try and switch Bob the lens a little bit to this B2B thing because I think that we, mm -hmm. we think that all B2B has to be is less like B2C on steroids. But there, there are some significant differences in, in the B2B experience. Right? For, for me, I, number one is like there's multiple contacts. Excuse me, but from your side, how do you, you know, what's in your experience, how would you characterize a great B2B experience when you maybe a million dollar account well I'll, I'll i think rephrase the answer a little bit because it's my one of my favorite subjects as to you know going back to why haven't so many people done it uh you know the the earlier digital transformation and why aren't more people selling to it so but it is exactly the point you're getting to there which is who are you talking to and it do they have the permission to yeah. make the decision you know, can they spend that money? Yeah. So it is that thing about having the roles, the access management, the privileges, the different profile levels, which is now becoming not just part of the ability to log in and see various stuff, um, but it is at what level can I buy an upgrade? Can I spend 20 million? Can I spend 20p? Can I spend nothing? And you need to have that. So to me, the whole key is being able to manage the hierarchy of relationships and be able to get the right message to the right person at the right time. And again, uh, let's linking it back to the consumer experience. So many of the business-to-business -business solutions actually do go through to another user. So although I might sign up a contract or you might, a customer, you sign up with a decision maker, go through the process, and I do all my good account management. There's the decision maker. There's the influencer. There's the relationships in the power base. The thing that once it goes in, if the person has made a decision to buy 
10,000 seats of voice over IP technology from my company. Is it, you know, that's only the part, that's where you start. Now you've got to actually say, how can you get the use of it? So a lot of enterprise solutions to make sure that they get aligned are saying, um, I think Microsoft are one example, you don't get paid for selling in, you get, say, you get paid for them actually using it, mm -hmm. which I think is a very healthy move that you're not just going to load them up with unneeded seats, yes. terminals, devices, but you're actually going to make sure that your supplier is part of your success. And I think that's where the, the similarity and the difference goes, that now, if I'm a user of um, Microsoft Teams, I have a login, I have an account. So I say, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm on board. I am now interacting. I have got a digital presence. Can I go online and buy something? Heck no, because I don't have that role in the privilege, but somebody in the organization does. Yeah. So I need to be able to, now let's turn the, 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 the lens around, if you like. From a Microsoft point of view, or a vendor like that, you need to be able to manage all those different relationships. And if all you're doing is making the ones you've had direct buying relationships with, you're going to fail because you need to make sure that all the people that are going to be the users of your service, the users of your product, are as happy. And that's why I say um, net promoter score can't just be, were you happy with buying it? That's, yeah, whoopie doop. But it's the proof is, and what will get you the renewals is, did you actually survey the people that were using it? Did you actually find out, you know, what their feedback, and, and more importantly, because that's one of my bet noirs, did you actually do anything with it? Oh, hold on a second. Are you talking about response and closing the loop, Bob? I want to hear what you've got to say about it. Oh, I'm, it's, I get so annoyed. I am inundated with people saying, oh, before you go, could we just ask you a question? Oh, could you uh, just give us some feedback on this? I said, you do it. Oh, I'm willing to help. You know, Gone. Into the ether, off in the ozone. And I think, well, wait a minute. You know, I, I'm a longtime customer of yours. You've yeah. asked me for something. Will anybody ever tell me whether or not it's personal, oh, dread the fact that it could actually be personal, but certainly could somebody say, look, we had 2,000 people responded. The majority of people said these were the three things that annoyed them or these are the three things that we thought were great. So we're going to work on those and we'll let you know what happened. I would, I think I'd fall off my chair <laughs> if somebody did that. I would love them to death. I really would. It's like dinner party conversation, isn't it? If somebody said <laughs> Well, thank you very much. This is what we learned from you. But I, I, I just want to drill into this for a second because around the world this minute, there must be there must be billions of, or at least millions of surveys going on when they're asking for feedback. All right, nobody does anything with it. What is it? Chucking, putting a, putting a message in a bottle or something like that? Or, yeah. or, or, or beaming it off into space, hoping that something... And these, these, these are the same it. programs that are still fighting for increasing responses. Yeah. And they're expecting people to, to repeatedly take time, give feedback, have nothing back. And then three months later, they're going to say to Bob again, Bob, do you mind again if you give me that? So take some time to give me that feedback. Yeah. Like, you know, well, well, why would you going to have to 
Give me a bit more than that to, to make me keep wanting to give that feedback, right? I'm going to run with this for a second, Bob. See what you think of this. I think that we're training customers to not answer surveys, first of all. So we're actually actively training people to not give feedback because after after a while, you know, your your, your generosity keeps yeah. up, I think. And the other thing, and this comes back to the point about acquisition, is that we are training customers to be promiscuous because there's always a better deal if you shop around, right? That's the, yeah. That comes back to this whole acquisition addiction. Yes. What do you think about that, Bob? Is it, can we ever break out of that, that loop, you think? I think we, if we are to break out of that loop, it will be because of something that is outside of our control, a tangential to it, like the cookie law, like someone changing the law that says you've got to offer um, your existing customers the same prices as your uh, acquisition customers. Uh, I and last week. You know, yeah. And that's, that's what's going to change it, because uh, we, we've been trying for years to change it without that help, and um, have failed. Yeah, but I, okay, I'm going to, I agree with everything that you've said, that, that it's about, you know, you need to change things, and that they try to change the law in the UK for insurance, so, so that you have to have a, the same offer for acquisition customers due for retention, and we're trying to get rid of third-party cookies. I just believe marketers would just find a way around it because there's too much money at stake. So do you, what, what do you think about that? Will we ever change really, even, even if they start to change the law? I, I think they will. I think that as certain parts of the market establish that that is the behavior, then that sets the standard for what is normal. It's like I said, your you know, expectations set you know, for business by your consumer experience. Similarly, if I'm treated that way by my utility or my insurance, why wouldn't my telco treat me the same way? I was real happy uh, my Norton 360 is coming up for renewal. And every year at this time, I play the game, I clear my cookies, I go onto a site and I do an acquisition and I buy it for a lot lower than renewing it. And I'm always annoyed because I say, why don't you just offer me the upgrade and I'll do it. This year, they offered me the upgrade at the acquisition price. Whoa. Job done. I have signed up. I just immediately went, I don't need to do research. That's a great price. So they have a totally frictionless upsell. Um, and um, they didn't have to pay for whenever I clicked through and did all that as if I was a new customer all over again. So in fact, although... They looked as if they gave me a bigger discount. They actually saved money mm -hmm. uh, on that transaction. That wow! That's it. so. What would, what would be a typical saving every year? Can you quantify it? Were you able to like save five five pounds or £10? Uh, it's about twenty pounds a year? Whoa! Which, yeah. Right, so okay, so, so that would have been a really great money saving tip had they not changed it. <laughs> so, you know, if you think about the, because you've been years in the telco business, I mean, what are some of the bad habits that these guys that you'd like to see change? Oh, uh, let's say they're uh, in a number of industries. <laughs> um, I draw the comparison to, imagine you've gone to the same bar year after year. Hold on a second. And <laughs> hold on, let's <laughs> check with Dave. <laughs> yeah, and, and they keep on sending you beer offers when all you drink is screaming Vikings. What is this? I'll come back to that one. Yeah, or, or, or the cocktail of your choice. 
<laughs> the reason why I chose a screaming Viking is that it's a cocktail that was invented by an American TV series. Do you know which one? No, I, I don't. Literally. Where everybody knows your oh, name. I did not know that. I never heard well, that. I, you know, I saw a few. I'm that old, I recognize that. Yeah. It was invented in the bar to get Sam's job back. And it was just invented in Cheers. Okay, I'm going to use that in our, our trivia. Yeah, nice. Yeah. <laughs> but, it, and, but anyway, that's the, the point is that so many of the... I cannot... Uh, in any of the telcos that I have been... A, uh, of which I've been a customer, I don't think one of them in my account or through email has sent me a relevant offer. So, you know, you're selling, selling beer offers to a wine drinker. And that's, and, because, just, and that's because they're not good at knowing who you are as a customer. Yes. Do you, do it appears think, so. Did you think this is the direction that a lot of the customers are going now with, you know, all the investment that's happening with big data, tools like Power BI and things like that? Is, is that why they're investing in that so they can be more customizable with their, with their current customers? Yes, I, I, they're absolutely doing it. I know that absolutely. Um, and then they're finding out, as I said earlier, that it's hard. Yeah. Um, you know, you've in a lot of them, you've got multiple databases, and we all know what happens when you try and merge multiple databases. Yeah. Uh, you know, the the data integrity. You've got things that have evolved, have been careless over the years, and it's just very hard to get it back again. Yeah. Uh, but but companies need to understand that in B2B marketing, or I'd say in any marketing, your database, and Adam, you remember this from many years ago, your database, your database, your database. Yeah. And I think that one of, you keep, you're talking about data mining, and I think that's, that's really relevant in B2C. And I think perhaps it's not such a bad thing that they've been using cookies because you can figure out what adjacent offers are just working through some yes. sort of AI, mm -hmm. B2B is more difficult. And that's because there are bigger deals involved. And there's, and there's this, you know, there's this hum, much more human element in bringing in a million dollar deal. I mean, mm -hmm. I'd love to, for people to come along and click yes, so I'd like to buy for a million dollars on a deal. In my experience, that doesn't happen. Yeah. You need a lot of shopping around. So I think that's part of the problem, Bob, is that the, not all of the corporate memory exists in the data banks. It's in people's heads and they move yeah. and they around. So that's that's one of the sophistications that's coming. I totally agree. Uh, or else it's in little personal notes, little personal things, a little spreadsheet or a, a little CRM that one of the offices just spun up on their own, you know, kind of skunk work off somewhere. Um, uh, but that's what you, you, you've just got to pull it back in and you just need to start doing it because it's until you start, you're not going to be done. Um, and I just, I just think that that's that attention to your database uh, is where people are investing. Uh, they're putting a lot of technology in. And I say, going back to B2B, yeah. the problem is easier and not. Yeah. Because if you think about what account-based marketing would mean, that you would be looking for how many people came to your site that are registered from the same account. Are you looking at how do you identify them if they're from the same IP, the same email stuff, if they're from 
you know, what, what if they're interested? Because if you can start seeing momentum in an account with multiple people looking at it, you're thinking, yeah. okay, now what do you do with that? So be, building up a picture, as I said earlier, it's not just the one or two decision makers, it's the influencers, the users, it's all of that ecosystem of people that if you're really clever and you're only really successful, business to business marketing, you're getting that picture to see what's happening. If a load of people somehow come through from one of your target accounts, you want to know about that and be able to say, oh, wait a minute, something's happening at ABC account. Yeah. Out of all the accounts we should be working on, and you don't have enough resources to go after all the accounts, something is self-selecting as a prospect. Now, can you spot them fast enough to be able to allocate your resources to the opportunity that appears to be emerging? Let's again leave on the positive. And I would say we've touched on digital transformation. We've touched on databases mentioned big data. I would go further with some of the technology that it's available from the big guys, as well as, you know, the more, uh, the, the smaller, cheaper one. There's such an amazing range of technology, the sort that at the start of my career, we only dreamt of. Yeah. What I'm disappointed are some of the things you've seen come through is, are we sweating the asset? During this COVID time, people have actually gone out and bought some technology, yeah. and they're probably using 10% of the capability. You probably see that in some of your own customers. Mm -hmm. Are they using all the features? Are they really making it work as hard as possible and getting the most for their money? That is what I would encourage any business, business to market who's listening here, who's still with us, we'd be to say, guys, dream some more. Be creative, sweat that technology, but love the technology. It's there to help you. Oh, Thanks a lot for that, Bob. Also, thank you for sharing your thoughts about Screaming Vikings, yeah. about saving <laughs> up 20 pounds on Norton 360, which is, although maybe it never went away, but also helping us talk about the acquisition addiction and the third-party cookie issue, which is really one I hadn't thought about. I, I really hope that businesses start to take it seriously and start to get behind the whole experience them with their retention and um you know thanks for sharing your thoughts on that with us today so bob thank you so much today bob McNeish. by the way bob if anyone wants to reach out to you how would they do that yeah i'm on linkedin uh b mcninch uh so please do reach out super thanks a lot bob thanks a lot for your time god thank bob. you great to speak to you that's what you thanks guys Thanks.